City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Merry Christmas. You are listening to Inside the Hive on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows, making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast Network is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. Today's show, I'm joined by Richie Randall from Buzzbeat Podcast. Um, We're going to be creating our blame pie chart for this season to try and allocate uh, who we think is most responsible for the disappointing season that's been so far. Um, Richie, we're recording this before Christmas, but people will probably be listening to this sometime after Christmas. So uh, I hope everyone's had a, a great time over the holiday period. Uh, and how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I uh, was kind of chatting with you pre-recording about the struggle with BuzzBeat right now in terms of the content. And I think this specific topic that we're going to discuss today should be pretty interesting. Yeah, like I say, we, we've been trying to find creative ways to cover the team. And uh, this is a nice little piece of evergreen content, which uh, there's a lot of blame going around, right? We've seen it. We see it during the games. We see it during some of these press releases. And I, we've not shared here in terms of how we've allocated our blame. And I'll, I'll just quickly... For the listeners who you know, we have four sections, uh, coaching, front office, players, and luck. And we have created assigned percentages to each one of those areas. And now this is specifically for this season. Yeah. Um, but obviously some of these things like have ties back. So especially the front office, some things might have happened in the past, which are impacting the season. But you, you'll go along with us here. You know, you can get the idea by here. And we're going to have a nice graphic on social media. Once it's been out a couple of days, where we'll we'll show our different pie charts. Um, I guess firstly, Richie, this is something that neither of us did before. How did you find the process of trying to assign percentage blame to these four different areas? 
Well, the first thing I did was just rank the four in terms of which one I thought was the most heavily, you know, blameworthy. And I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit of arbitrary numbers that I kind of threw out there. Like I, I knew that my biggest one probably had, you know, over half of, of the blame and just kind of worked my way from there. But uh, it was an interesting process. I think they're all connected in a certain way. I think one of them kind of affects the others. And then the, the one about the luck is interesting because that is almost like outside factors, which is sometimes hard to judge, which, you know, you can't discount by any means. But it was an interesting little um, exercise here. And the first thing I did was just kind of rank them and then go add percentages to them. That's a great process. I wish I had something as structured as that. I just like sat down and started making scribbles, basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to say we've not shared what we've got. Um, as you are the guest, Richie, I will I will let you choose where we start. And I will also say that I'm not wedded to my percentages. And maybe through the arc of this conversation, uh, I reserve the right to change my mind as we go and we have these discussions. So uh, let me know where you would like to start. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start with the front office because that's the biggest chunk of mine. I don't know if it's the biggest mm. chunk of yours. And maybe I'm giving a little bit too much blame uh, in terms of the overall percentage. I'm very heavy on the first two that I have. The last two are a little bit lower in percentages. So maybe it's not fair. Obviously, it can't be 25, 25, 25, 25. But um, I, I, I assign 55% to the front office. So over half. Is that is that a little heavy? You, I, I, we're literally matched up. That's why I'm really? laughing. I have 55% against front office. Exactly okay. the same. I, I even the 5% originally had 50, but I wanted to bump it over half percent and then just kind of work my way from there. But so, yeah, let, let, let's start here. Let's start here with the uh, front office. I do think that this deserves the bulk of the blame. And maybe as we talk through it, we can go up or down with it. But 55 seems like a good starting point. And you mentioned at the top of this podcast that we're trying to isolate it to this season and this season alone. But I think this is the one category that has the most connection to past yeah. seasons and obviously future seasons, how they set up for that. So I'm going to refrain from going too far back and kind of focus on the offseason. I think Mitch Kupchak has proven to me that he has been unable to build a roster that one plays both sides of the ball two can have any kind of depth. And then the players that they need to hold on to, it seems like he just can't. I think, you know, if we're going to go just recency in the the offseason here with DSJ, losing him for so little, not prioritizing him in the offseason to keep him as a backup point guard really has proven to be a trend with this organization. They just can't hold on to guys that, you know, even if it's on a short contract, they kind of show some signs of life. And obviously DSJ has some offensive limitations, but the impact that he had on the offensive end, you know, pressuring the rim and, and dishing out to shooters. I think most importantly, he's a guy that plays on the defensive side of the court. And that would be very beneficial for this team right now. Uh, not only because uh, they don't have individual defenders that, that can play that way, but you know, if he were to pair up with LaMelo had, you know, LaMelo been healthy right now, you know, they, those two can pair up pretty well. I also think Mitch Kupchak has shown like no urgency to kind of trade any of the guys who have been like taking up a larger chunk of the salary cap, which obviously is, is a bit challenging to do at times, but it's almost like he waits to the last possible minute and the value 
continues to decrease and they know that maybe the Hornets are desperate to get rid of some of these guys, like, for example, the Plumlee trade last year, like, yeah. you know, they got a second round pick out of it. You know, could it could they have got more? Maybe maybe two seconds, maybe maybe um, a player at least. But and Jalen McDaniels was, was the same. I think they gave up a second even in the Jalen McDaniels. I know they got two back, but they gave up one, didn't they? Um, in that one, I believe. Yeah. So I just feel like it's a last second decision. You know, we saw the signs of Mark Williams playing well last year. You just get get rid of Plumlee sooner rather than later. And I, I fear that's what's going to happen with Rozier if that's the route they want to take and or Hayward if that's the route they want to take. So well, that's that's kind of what I want to get at first. Yeah. Your 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 first thing there, you said like it felt last last second that they're reacting. This is what Mitch Kupchak said after the trade deadline last last year. The trade deadline is something you don't spend a lot of time on. And then an hour before the trade deadline, you have to make decisions and decide what you want to do. You start the season with an open mind, uh, blah, blah, blah. But like he basically said outright, it's not something you spend a lot of time on. And then the hour before the deadline, you have to make decisions. Now, I don't know if like that's just Mitch trying not to answer something too directly and like then making mistake. But like that is just an outward you know, admission that they... It's not like they're working the phones. It does not sound like with the strategy on how to move these guys as as the time goes along. So uh, I don't think that's a a feeling. I think Mitch Kupchak essentially admitted to that uh, at the end of last last season of the trade deadline. I feel like his messaging just in general has been confusing, and it's a lot of times it's just to appease <laughs> yeah. the fans, appease the media, because there's been times when he said that like this team can't draft for need; they need talent, 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 and then shortly after you know, leading up to the season, he's like, yeah, this team can make the playoffs. So like, which one is it? Like, do they have enough talent to make the playoffs or do they not have enough yeah. talent? And, well, and he, he also said last year, this team is too shallow and he took responsibility for that post-trade deadline. So he said before this free agency, this team needs more veteran presence, more leadership, which that was music to everybody's ears. And, you know, outside of the addition of maybe Brandon Miller, uh, this, you know, they lost Kelly Oubre, added Miles Bridges, like similar position players. Uh, this team is not unbelievably deeper. In fact, it's actually shallower when you look at like, you know, the center position, uh, the backup point guard position. And they never really, what, what's, who was your veteran leader that they've added? I know Ish Smith, they added, what is it, the day before the season? I, you can't tell me that that was the team's plan all along. You know, if that was the team's veteran leader that they envisioned, then you would have had him earlier in the summer in free agency. So, um, I, I agree with what you said, that he has identified some of the issues that we all know. We all know on paper, look at the team, what the issues are, and the front office have failed to address those issues year on year. And I think last year, injuries maybe hid some of the underlying issues. You could hide behind where we weren't healthy, we didn't get to see our playing groups. But I think reading between the lines last year, we could see there was there was major issues in terms of especially the defensive side of the ball, um, and how these pieces complemented each other. And they wanted to see it all together. And we still haven't, right? That would be Mitch Kupchak's defense right here to say, we've still not seen the starting unit that we wanted to see, which had Miles Bridges included, Lamelo Ball, Mark Williams, I think outside of a quarter and a half against Orlando. Um, that That's the, if and you, we can't say anything to say that, that that lineup won't work because we have not seen it. But we've seen enough of each of those players and we know the skill sets I think to make an educated guess that I don't think that group is solving all the problems that exist going across this roster. Yeah. I, when I, when I step back and, and you know, you're right. Like they, they have not, 
he's not he, he's not had the benefit of having these guys play consistently and and these playing groups you know if you want to factor in the luck we'll talk about that later has not been on the hornet side but when i step back and look at this roster it, it, it is very spotty the deeper you get like you mentioned the construction of this roster is so heavily dependent on the starters uh and maybe one or two bench guys but most of the bench guys that that the hornets are playing right now like the 7th 8th ninth men like i would think on most most teams, most playoff teams, they would be getting DNPs. They would be playing minimal minutes. And that's that's really what it comes down to. I, I just think that the depth of this team, because it's so dependent on the top guys like Rozier, Hayward, LaMelo, uh, PJ Washington, and when those guys go down, there's no depth. And obviously you've got constraints that you've got to work with with the salary cap and all that. But, you know, it just seems like some teams are able to withstand injuries. The Hornets are not able to withstand injuries. And I, I think that speaks to an overall, you know, lack of construction with, with the roster. And, um, you know, you can point to his drafting history. Like, I, I think it's been up and down. I, I think there's been some highs, some lows. I think this past season, if we want to keep it recent, you know, Brandon Miller seems to be the correct move. Uh, but we probably won't know the true answer to that, you know, until like two to four seasons down the road. Uh you know, the Bridges thing is interesting to me, too. Like, from a basketball standpoint, I understand why Mitch kept him around because you just can't lose the asset. From a PR perspective, they would have cut ties with him a long time ago. Um, so, you know, who knows how long Mitch is going to stay around. I think, you know, we've given him enough time to kind of figure out what he's good at and what he's been, you know, failing to do. And the team, the team also just lacks size, like at the two and three position as well. Like, you know, for defensive measures and um, a lot of, a lot of opposing teams target like Terry Rozier just because of the lack of size. I don't know. I just feel like this roster, a lot of the players are just play on one side of the court. Like if you were to name a two-way player on the Hornets, like who comes to mind? Like Hayward and PJ, but they're not really like outstanding. No, I wouldn't say they are plus defenders. I would say they're like average. But yeah, you're talking two-way player. I, you could argue. I mean, coaches seem to love Terry Rozier's defense. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit less sold in it than they are, but. Um, I, I feel like he's maybe a guy who's locked into the game plan well, you know, right. shows people to where they should be shown on the court. He isn't out there like jumping off the film defensively, but he's maybe the guy. But, but yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there is not a lot of two-way players despite, you know, that's what that's what everyone's talking about. But I think the other thing is this team is just soft, right? They've drafted a lot of guys for talent, a lot of freshmen coming out of college, even looking at, you know, JT Thor, Amari Bailey, Nick Smith Jr., uh, Bryce McGowan's when he, he got drafted, drafted a lot of first year guys who are, you know, naive, uh, just like in a basketball sense. I mean, just like don't have that much experience and have never like had to, to build that physicality. And this team just gets bullied. I mean, we saw it against the Pelicans with Jonas Valanciunas. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter who you play. If there is anyone who is like physical, they will just either get fouled or have their like all the time in the world getting to the rim. So, um, very interesting. We have front office exactly the same at 55%. I can't believe uh, we've actually landed on the same place there. Um, I, I'm with you. I think the we all saw coming into the season like that backup point guard, backup center, like third string center was going to be an issue that you surely fill that with a veteran player. And they didn't really do that. Frank Nilekina, I know we've not seen him. He was supposed to be the answer, but I'm still not convinced even when we see him he is really a point guard. Uh, I, I think he's like an interesting, like three and D spacing off ball player, but I'm just not convinced. And I wasn't from what I saw in preseason either. 
of those those lead point guard duties. So um, yeah, matched up on our front office being the main culprit here. Um, anything else on that, or do we move on to the next section? The last thing I'll mention, but I guess it's still part of the front office. Like I'm not trying to excuse anything that Mitch has done, but you do have to wonder. I know that um, MJ is now not a majority owner anymore, but you do have mm -hmm. to wonder about his influence on some of these moves uh, over the course of his tenure. But again, that that's still kind of classified front office. So I guess that that, that doesn't really change my percentage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely think, look, the big, big decisions, Michael Jordan is involved in these. We this one thing that we've learned by now. So I completely agree. Um, all right, next on, let's go on to your second section. What is, you said this was relatively large again, compared um, to the other two. Compared to the, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's double the other two. I'm going to players as my second one at 25%. That doesn't match up to yours, does it? Uh, I'm at players for 30%. Okay. So again, we are very close, very much in the same ballpark. So, um, yeah, I've I've got them accounted for a fourth of the blame. Um, you could just go down the list of players and, and just kind of like think this season: how many players have shown improvement? How many players have regressed? How many players have kind of stayed the same? And I just don't see a ton of improvement from the players and the accountability rest on their shoulders. I mean, obviously we just mentioned that the roster construction isn't ideal, but that doesn't prevent players from stagnating. Um, doesn't prevent them from trying to get better. I think LaMelo and I guess Rozier to a certain extent are one of the two players that I can kind of think of that have noticeably improved in a handful of aspects. You know, you've got LaMelo who gets to the rim a little bit more, draws more fouls. Rozier has, you know, taken up his, his role as LaMelo has been out. He's elevated his three-point efficiency back to where it was after a down year last year. His, his scoring is much needed. His clutch shooting is much needed. And he's just doing it with a more prominent role. But when you look at the other players, like I, I can almost point to almost every single player on the roster that has not gotten better. Or there's something that's like popped up that's new that I'm like, wow, like I didn't realize that that was now a deficiency of yours. Like P.J. Washington, for example, he has disappointed me this year with his on-ball defense, and it just hasn't popped like it has in seasons past. Like he had a he had a very solid start to the season, but he's been inconsistent since like the first five or six games. Mark Williams, for example, like we we've had discussions about this. I'm sure you guys have as you know have has had as well. Like getting pushed around by more physical bigs. Um, I would have thought he would have shown something this season that I can point to that stands out. Like. Wow, that's a noticeable improvement from Mark Williams, and that's not to say that I'm like I'm not on board with him, but yeah. like I, I actually think he's regressed defensively from what I saw last season. I mean, I was so impressed how he used to not jump at pump fakes, and then this year he's got him foul trouble like time yeah. and time again. Whereas something last year that felt like I was he was really locked in on and wasn't as much of an issue. And um, obviously, it was different for him coming in from the G League and and playing later in the year. But um, he, I think offensively, he's been kind of impressed me i think exceeded my expectations but defensively which is a thing where everyone you know pegged him in uh he just doesn't influence other team around the rim as often as you you thought he would i think from the flashes that we saw last year yeah and i i think the physicality stands out to me getting pushed around to your point he's trying to jump for all all the blocks that he can get and that gets him into trouble with the fouls uh, one thing that we saw last year was him being a little bit more versatile in the pick and roll situation, but we're seeing a little bit more conservative approach with him and drop. And obviously recently he's been injured. 
Uh, JT Thor has been another disappointment to me. I don't yeah. know what you feel about him. Like he has regressed on both ends of the court. Uh, Bridges has fallen off since his hot start. And I would say like Nick Richards and Hayward, like they haven't necessarily gotten like tremendously better. Uh, but they, I would just say they, they've kind of been like flatlined to me, like both of those guys, but you know, besides Lamella, besides Rozier, a lot of the other guys just have not shown enough no. to me. And there's only so much blame you can put on like the roster construction. You've got to kind of overcome that and be a little bit better individually. But that's kind of how I view it. 25% for these players. Well, everyone says the summer is where you get better, right? right. That's the, the the phrase that goes around players. That's where you can work with your skill coaches, improve your shooting percentages, improve your ball handling, work and getting in better shape or improving your athleticism. You know, when you're in the season, you don't have as much time to work on your craft as much just because you'll play, recover, play, recover. Um, and I agree with you. Like there was the game of the night. I think I tweeted this, that, um, you know, you're going to see Nick Smith Jr., Bryce McGowan's, JT Thor. I remember in years past, if we'd have seen like first and second years player hitting the floor, you're like pinned to, the, your eyes are pinned to the TV, right? Because you're excited to see glimpses of these guys who've been hidden on the bench and you want to see how they're developing. And there's just no excitement about this team's young players. It's just like, oh, great. Like, we're, you know, we're going to, they're going to come in and we're probably going to be outscored by 10 and it's going to be a real struggle. And there is just no mystery intrigue, I don't think, apart from like with Nick Smith Jr., he is the only one that I feel that kind of level of anticipation exists. And, and someone like Nick Smith Jr., there's been a couple of times last year when he like, he really hustles, he plays hard. You can see him like running up the floor hard, playing with like high energy. And it really jumps off the page. And then I realized why it jumps off so much is because there's just not many players in the Hornets who play with that like level of verve and hop in their step like he does. And, and sometimes it ends up with fouls. But you don't describe any of these Charlotte Hornets players like high energy, active, defensive disruptors. Um, I just don't think they play all that tough. I, again, I talked about in the, in the front office side, they've got soft players. I think the players have to take some responsibility like you know one night turnovers is the issue the next it's defensive rebounding then the next night it's the fouls then they can't shoot the ball from three there is no real consistency i don't think from any of the players as a collective group but the one thing that's consistent is they generally get pushed around and bullied by veteran teams and like there's only so long you can keep wishing and saying well they're going to mature they're going to get stronger some point like these young guys like you're not saying that about the oklahoma city thunder and a lot of their players are in their first and second and third year. So that is something that I don't think these players have, have taken on. Um, and Steve Clifford has tried to protect them. You know, he said that they're playing hard. The effort is not the problem. And I think, yes, that's right at times. But you can't tell me you watch all the games this year and don't notice low energy periods or when the team have given up or when there's like five people standing around watching Kyle Lowry grab an offensive rebound. Um, you know, that is something that falls on the players. Like Steve Clifford can't do any more than do rebounding drills and tell the team they need to focus and they need to box out. But this is something that the players have not learned to do. Like it's a battle just to get them to do the basics, never mind the more trickier things. Well, a lot of things that you just mentioned, like turnovers, um, defensive rebounding, things of that nature do come back to toughness. Like you yep. got to be tough on the ball. You got to be smart with the ball. You got to be able to box out players. You got to have every that. play, not yeah. just now and then every yeah. single possession, which is the sh this team's problem. They do it for spurts when <laughs> things are going well, when the shots are going in, suddenly people are boxing out and, and they're yeah. in the game. But like Orlando, who've been terrible for years before this year, I remember you used to watch them go, go into Orlando 
and they'd have won like 10 games and have 30 losses. And you could see them playing with like a level of in- energy and intensity that was impressive. Mo Wagner would be chirping, playing physical. And you could be like, oh, they're not there yet, but they're playing with something. Charlotte just have a complete absence of that. You you almost wonder if, to your point, it's almost like if their offense is going well, then they'll play hard on defense. I yeah. feel like I feel like it's got to be the opposite. I feel like you got to play hard on defense regardless. And then if the offense comes, then then that's when the stretches come. And I think that's what Clifford's trying to preach. I'm sure he's stressing that in practice. He's trying to get these guys on board, uh, but some of them just don't have it in them to be 100% four quarters, 48 minutes to be hustling every single possession. This is a team that just can't take quarters off. We we've seen the slow starts and, you know, you get that glimmer of hope in the second and third quarter when they try to come back. But at that point it's too late because you wonder, man, if they had just shown this effort in the first quarter uh, who knows where they would have been by this point. And then back to your previous point about the young players, about like the intrigue and just kind of being interested in how they are playing. Yeah, there, there isn't a whole lot, but I also feel as if if the team itself was constructed a little bit better and they were coming in not just to, you know, fill in for injured players, but they were coming in just to, you know, have an eight-minute spurt here or there mm-hmm. in the game. It's almost like they'd be contributing to a winning team, and I feel like that's when you get a little bit more interested. We now know that Nick Smith Jr. and JT Thor and Bryce McGowan, all these guys are coming in and they're not going to contribute to a winning team. They're just getting out there getting reps because we know overall this team is not going to succeed to where you know they probably should succeed at uh, if the roster was built a little bit better. So I think that's why, or at least partly why, like as fans, you just don't get all that excited when NSJ comes in because it's like, okay, he may put up six, eight points, but it's, it's not really going to contribute to anything in the overall grand scheme of things. Yeah, agreed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So we were very close there. You were 25%. I was 30%. Uh, I will let you go to the third section here. Um, and, and from what I think you said before, have you got these two sections split percentage equally? Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, yeah, I got coaching at 10% and I got luck at 10%. So that that equals out to 100. I'm, I'm assuming my math is correct here. So yes, let's, just, <laughs> let's just start with coaching. Um I don't think Steve Clifford is immune from criticism by any means, uh, but I'm just not sure what more he can do from his point of view uh, that would put this team like over the top. He's been dealt a bad hand injuries, which we'll talk about here in a second, the lack of depth, the lack of desire, which we just talked about that want to on the defensive side of the court and his best players when healthy, even when healthy, like 
even when they are healthy, this team just isn't good enough on most nights against most teams. So I do believe that coaching has an effect on in the NBA. I wouldn't say that coaching is irrelevant, but I do think it has more of a swing if you're like a top five coach or a bottom five coach in terms of like up or down. I think a lot of the coaches that are kind of falling in between, they, they do matter, but I feel they have less of an effect. And I kind of find myself evaluating Clifford anywhere from like, you know, the 17th to 20th, 23rd best coach in the NBA. I, I haven't sat down and, and kind of ranked them all, but he's kind of in the middle. And I think just based on pure talent, this team doesn't have it. I think one thing that is really hurting him is like the roster continuity and the playing groups is just not consistent. And Clifford's mm -hmm. even mentioned that these guys are playing with different players every single night. And so for that to happen, there's no consistency. And I will say this, like Clifford has been known to get his teams to play better and to overachieve, especially as the season progresses. But I almost got my doubts on that. Like, I, I feel it's going to be an uphill battle for him come February, March, April, if he's still around. So. I'll just say 10% on coaching. I'll pass it over to you. I think there's a lot of things that are out of his control. Could he do better in certain situations? Yes. Obviously, he's very defensive-minded, and he's not getting this team to perform on that end of the court. I think offensively, um, he's not a guy that is uh, you know, in tune to the more progressive and um, new-age offense. I, I don't think his sets are as particularly you know, creative as maybe James Borrego, but I, I think... I think the standard that he's trying to hold these players to is high. Like, I, obviously, we don't know all the ins and outs of of how he handles the players. But, I, you know, I go to practice like he's saying, you know, all the right things. But I have it down to 10 percent. I don't know where you have coaching uh, for you. So I had coaching at 10 percent as well. But but I've changed while listening to you speak and I actually increased it to 12 and a half percent. The reason being is because I, I made a bad I, case. Well, no, you, I, I know my feeling, I think was a little bit more critical than yours and we, but we had the same percentage. Oh, okay. So okay. I felt like I need to bump mine up a little bit more uh, to reflect that. And also because when we post these two pie charts, if we just have the same percentages for everything, it's going to look really stupid. So um, uh, I, I take what you say. I, I understand the criticism, like, you know, uh, Oh, sorry, the excuse, which is, well, you not have the playing groups. And I get that. Equally, this is the NBA, right? And every team struggles to have the playing groups. You see the Phoenix Suns. You see even the Minnesota Timberwolves. I've had guys in and out of the lineup. And I know the Charlotte Hornets have probably had it worse than most. But there's you're never going to have all the guys that you want playing in playing groups for like three, four weeks in a row that they all know what each other do. That just very, very rarely happens. So... I think I understand why Steve keeps saying that. And if I was a coach, I'd be saying the same thing, but you've got to be able to adapt on the fly here because that's what happens in the NBA. I, I think the coaching for me, the first 15 games is basically what I'm judging off this season because the last five to eight because of injuries, you can throw them away. Like there is very little you can tell out there when you've got Nathan Mensa guarding Joel Embiid. Like this is nothing to do with coaching in my opinion, but in those first 15 games, I think there were a lot of things in there that I thought were were red flags for me. I, let's start with training camp. And this is something that Steve Clifford, I think Steve Clifford's approach to training camp is pretty outdated. You know, he talks about how he likes to just come in and scrimmage and they do a lot of contact. 
and how most teams now don't do that. They, you know, put the defense, they put their offense in. Um, but he says it's how the Van Gundys used to do it and guys like it. And I understand why guys like it, right? It's like everyone prefers playing matches than doing training. Right. But tra training is really important. And normally that's what you do. And and Steve Clifford's teams have generally started the season poorly over his coaching career. Like they've got better as the year have gone on. But equally, I think there's something around this team looks unprepared and unorganized early in the season because I don't think they're putting in their offense and their defense early enough, letting their players get adjusted to it. You saw in the start of this season, the shot profile of this team for the first 10 to 15 games was archaic. I mean, they were taking and making the least threes in the NBA by far, and they've gone some way to offset that now. But why does that have to take so long, right? Uh, you know, the defensive side of the ball, you look at every defensive metric right now, they're 26th in transition offense, that is. Uh, they're bottom five in transition defense, bottom five in defense in total, 24th in rebounding, 24th in fouling, 28th in defensive shot profile distribution. There's just not really a good aspect. You talk about Steve Clifford ideology, he's not getting players to execute. And Yes, this is the ever long battle between like players and coaches who's responsible. But part of your job as a coach is to be able to communicate things in a ways and coach things in a way that land and that the players then can take absorb and then execute that. And I think Steve Clifford is identifying the right areas, you know, foul trouble, etc. But we're not seeing progress now in year two with a lot of the same players. You know, some of those very same players who were here last year are are making these same issues. So. You know, the rotations don't bother me. I see so many people complaining about rotations the entire time. And uh, just every single coach in the NBA gets flat from their fan base about rotations. There's always some guy they'd rather see over some other guy. Um, for me, it's nothing about rotations. It is about how they're ready to start the season. Some of the, you know, the lack of ability to turn coaching points into reality, like, they just you don't see that reaction game to game. You don't seeing that improvement. Um, so that's that's my big thing uh, from my end. I I think I am more concerned, especially this year, about the coaching. I was not impressed with those first ten games, which is a soft soft schedule, yeah. and Charlotte needed to go above five hundred, and they just did not look ready for the season to start. Yeah, that that is true. Obviously, that was without Miles Bridges as well. So I wonder, like you know, if you took that. 11th game to like the 20th game to see how those numbers would pan out. But those are all valid points in terms of the coaching. I, I do have a quick question for you. I mean, this is kind mm. of a sidetrack question. Do you think the Hornets should have ever fired Borrego? I, I mean, I was on the track record at the time saying no. Um, I was shocked that they did it. Um, I still don't think they should have done it. Um, look, there was obviously things going on internally there. Like on the surface, it was absolutely bonkers, right? There was at 43 and 39 wins in two years, made the play in, uh, seemed to be going in, in a good way. Lamelo Ball was playing well. Um, I think there was clearly, for, for me, I always, the way I always put it is like the, the players internally, maybe just, I always theorized they didn't have support for James Borrego because I couldn't see any other reason you would move on from him as a coach unless all of your players were going to your front office or your owner and saying, this guy is is not the, the coach that we need. Um, that was my theory. I still guess I lean on that today. Um, but they've brought in, obviously, a very clearly a defensive first coach and Steve Clifford since. 
But let's just be frank. The defense was 20th last year, as it was the same the year before when James Borrego was here. And this year, it's due to be actually the worst defense, worse than any James Borrego era. Um, you know, the weird zones that were introduced were strange, sure, but they were actually kind of effective. And despite finally having a shot-blocking rim protector, which this team was crying out for in the James Borrego years, this team has better defensive talent now than James Borrego had and is a worse defense. So I I can't tell you without being in those coaching sessions, like you said, to know exactly what happened. But uh, if if I, I was surprised when they did it, I would have kept James Borrego in place. No, I, I lean that way as well. And I think with the new owners, you know, moving forward with the new coach, I, I think one of the biggest things, and obviously if a coach is not performing or if something like that is happening behind the scenes, you know, you need to make a change. But I, I think establishing continuity and longevity with a head coach is so, so important in today's NBA. And so for, you know, Clifford to be, I guess this is his last year of his contract, to know yeah. that he's kind of like a lame duck coach. And, um, and the players probably, know it too. I can yeah. tell you that right now. The players right. know that Steve Clifford is not choosing the starting line of next year. That is just so unlikely to happen. And that kind of stuff matters. When you someone's trying to hold you to, to be accountable, if you know they're not going to be here in a matter of months, yeah. like you just take that a little bit less seriously. It's just You just do. Yeah, and that, but that's not on Clifford, right? No, no, absolutely not. That yeah. comes back to player responsibility. Yeah, so I just think that, like, obviously, you know, you want to pick the best coach for the best, you know, for the players that are on the court, but, you know, give give the coach a little bit more of a runway to work with, three, four years. Um, and I know that the situation with Clifford was so different with the way that they had to hire him last minute. But, you know, having that longevity, we talk about longevity and continuity with the players. You need to have that with the coach, I think. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the most important things to have just to kind of build that up with uh, the players. So how, how so would you feel, Richie, Mike Budenholzer, if he was appointed, right? Uh, went, goes back to Atlanta with Rick Schnell, the current, yep. uh, you know, currently a free agent coach after leaving the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they would have to pay him a lot of money to come here. He would have to want to come here. But would you be happy with a Mike Budenholzer appointment? Because he was unpopular by the kind of the end in Milwaukee. Like people, you know, playoff bud was uh, definitely a thing that people criticized. But you talk about a, a two-way team, that Milwaukee Bucks team was, was you know, pretty impressive in that side. Really experienced coach. Is that a guy who you think would uh, would be of interest? Yeah. I mean, I, I think without knowing the other names that would be out there, he obviously has established himself as a guy in the NBA that has proven to work. Uh, obviously, he had Giannis Antetokounmpo to kind of uh, spearhead that offense and, and kind helps. of put pressure on the rim. I do think that there's some similarities with the way that they can use Mark Williams and Brooke Lopez. Obviously Lopez has a three point shot that Mark Williams does not have as of now, but on the defensive side of the court, I can see the the way that they kind of funnel, yeah. you know, teams towards Mark Williams and things of that nature. So I think the experience, I, I think going with the guy that has experience probably would be very beneficial. Um, part of me wants to know, like, oh, do we get a young and up and coming guy that can kind of relate to the younger guys? But I feel like that's kind of resorting to what the, the Borrego hire was and using that as a player development hire. So I, I would not mind getting a guy that has been established in the league uh, for years. And uh, like I said, just make sure that there's some kind of concrete three, four year runway that he can have and, and kind of build yeah. that relationship. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Look is our last piece of the pie here. Uh, and for you, what percentage was that? That that came down to 10 again. Was that right? 10 again. I, I just split it with uh, coaching 
maybe I should be giving more credit to this section than I than I am. I know that a lot of fans just want to blame the injuries, 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 and it, it has been <laughs> very unlucky for the Hornets in terms of who they've lost. You know, obviously, if they're losing Bryce McGowan's, you don't want to see anyone get injured. But like they've been losing Lamella Ball, they've been losing Hayward, they've been losing um, Terry Rozier last year. Like just certain players that are so crucial to this team. I understand that that is really affecting this team. But again, it goes back to my original point. If the front office had built a more in-depth team, two-way players from start to finish, from the first man to the 15th man, I think the Hornets would be doing better and teams overcome a little bit of unlucky situations. So I'm not denying that the Hornets have had injuries. They've had plenty of injuries to key players. I just didn't put too much credit into this because I think people that – you know, if they had put this like at 50%, I think you're just using that as an excuse. And I, I kind of completely like, agree. Yeah, put that off to the side. Let, let's not just yeah. use injuries as an excuse. Maybe it could go higher, 15, 20, but I, I kind of settled in at 10. I don't really have much analysis on this section just because it's so hard to, to gauge. Yeah, I had this down at 2.5%. Um, <laughs> so if, if you think uh, I'm someone thinking it was just unlucky, I'm definitely not on that side of the bandwagon. Um, one thing I will say is like, can you sign Gordon Hayward and then claim him being injured is unlucky? I just, right. <laughs> that's that's a question, right? And I think there's there's some other things out here like um, Lamella Ball obviously has various ankle injuries. You know, I'm not saying ankle braces would have stopped it, but like he could have kept wearing them. And is you know is that unlucky when something like that happens? Um, Resigning Bridges, him missing ten games, is that unlucky or is that a front office decision? So, like, obviously, these people just going up and landing on ankles. These are all things that you can't control and are unlucky. But I agree with you. This is we saw enough in those first like ten games, even with Lamelo Ball playing at the level he was at. This team, it's not like it was you know five and two with Lamelo Ball playing well. It was still battling to even stay in touch to be five hundred. Um, so I I'm still just of the thought that this team has too many players that just do not complement one another's strengths and weaknesses uh, well enough. Um, you know, Martin, Cody Martin is the big one. I think that is unlucky. You know, you re-sign him to that contract. He is your energy spark plug, tough two-way player, and he is essentially out for a huge period of time. Um, and, you know, that is something that no one could have foreseen at the time, right? Um, I, I guess another thing to argue here is, you know, the Hornets got lucky moving up in the draft lottery, right? If you want to go back to there. So you could actually argue with uh, moving up, uh, selecting the ball, moving up, selecting Brandon Miller. You could argue that Brand Mitch Kupchak has been very lucky in his period. He's never moved down in the lottery. He's only moved up into top three picks twice. Um, that is some extremely good luck. Now, I know that's not just this season, but if anyone wants to write the last you know couple of years off just to you know poor luck, I think, like you say, you are you are hiding behind facts that you don't want to face, that there has been organizational failures, which we talked about throughout this episode, uh, spread around the organization. Yeah. And they even got lucky in the fact that Golden State drafted Wiseman. Like, what would what would this team look like today yeah. if Wiseman was on the roster? You know? Yeah. It and the uh, the Pelicans pick that they got who when they made the plane from the Devontae Graham trade, which came in to be was it pick 15 because they made the eighth seed Oh yeah! Uh, in the end? They came in through the playing tournament and then they ended up using that on Mark Williams and trading their own pick for, which was Durin into yeah. whatever those uh, 
Nick Smith Jr., Bryce McGowan's, and other pieces which got traded. So again, like that's another one. Like that pick could not have conveyed any more valuable than it did. Um, which is, you know, it would have been come, I think, two seconds, maybe the year after or the year after that. So there's been a lot of things that have actually perfectly gone Charlotte Hornets way. Um, even like the week start to the season, that soft schedule to start when they had no Miles Bridges. Mm-hmm. What a dream that is, right? Get off to a good start. Um, and and that didn't happen either. So uh, I think, yeah, there's. I'm not blaming luck at all on this season. There is a small element of injuries. I think there would be, you know, I don't know what the record is right now off the top of my head, but I think they would be, they would have won probably like three or four more games, two or three more games if they weren't. But I still don't think this team was going anywhere and these issues still exist. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put a bow on this conversation. I'll go ahead and recap my percentages. It's interesting. You did a, well, I know you did it last second, but you added like a non-multiple of five there with that 12%, which was pretty oh, cool. I, I was only going multiple of five, but so 55% for front office for me, 25% for players, and then I just split the last 20%, 10 into luck, into coaching. Yeah, and I had players at 30, front office at 55, coaching at 12 and a half, and luck at 2.5%. Uh, <laughs> very similar, generally, as, yeah. we, as we went through. So, uh, Richie, thanks for coming on uh, and going through this exercise. I know you have to escape to dad duties, and so do I. So, uh, appreciate you giving up your time. I hope you have a, a great holiday with you and your, your family of four now. And uh, yeah, we will link back up, I'm sure, in the new year at some point. Very good. Thanks for the uh, the invitation. This exercise was pretty cool. So uh, it's, it's content that I think the Hornets fans will definitely enjoy. Anytime. Thanks, Richie.